The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. It is a Monday show. That means it is time for a pun for That means our chance to be able to... Ooh, is the ghost back? (laughs) Somebody open up a tab? Oh, okay, we're good. It's that what happened. All right. Halloween is here. Y'all heard that, right? Oh, yeah. I heard it. Oh, I opened the tab. Is that what that was? Did you, Did you open hear the YouTube the- tab? No, I just opened uh, the CBSSports.com. Mm. Are we streaming live on CBSSports.com? Possibly. Something is. Coming everywhere to you. Oh my gosh. Uh, this isn't a pun for the review show, and that means we get a chance to look back at the weekend that was. Now, when you get us instantly, we've got some takes that are just going to be you know, not fully cooked. We also have games that are going on as we're recording, and so we need Sunday and Monday morning to be able to get back, break things down. We will be getting into that a little bit later, as well as everyone asks for it every single week. Poll Assassin. Remember, watch your pet monkeys on Halloween when the children come around for trick-or-treating. It is a very important and uh, and newsy reminder here on this Monday. Speaking of news, a little bit of news from over the weekend as the Big 12 has finalized its new media rights agreement. It will be with Fox. It will be with ESPN. It will be in terms of the way that fans consume the Big 12 
very similar to what you have going. Uh, a new deal comes with uh, new dollar amounts. This, of course, is going to be for a Big 12 that is losing Texas and Oklahoma, but gaining the likes of Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. I will be honest, if if you guys are, are good at the, the charts and, and breaking down the how much money is worth, then I would love for you to add that because I don't have it. But I do think that it does seem like the Big 12 in being able to finalize this deal is puffing its chest out a little bit, is feeling confident about its future. We had uh, the conference commissioner, Brett Yormark, here on the Cover 3 podcast. Go check that out if you didn't. Feels like this is a, a good news and the, the league feels confident about the deal it got and what its future looks like, right? I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I did the interview with with Yormark and like he didn't give me a whole lot, right? It was kind of like, like on a media blitz tour. But one of the things that he did agree on was that the competitiveness of the league would make it attractive to a multi-partner multi-partner setup. And it appears from reading the Sports Business Journal that the reason the Big 12 cashed in so well is that they were able to convince Fox that like the second-tier games in this league are uh, decent entertainment, which I think, at least in the past couple of years, is accurate. Uh, so that, to me, seems like why they cashed in the most. And apparently Big 12 basketball is also decent. I don't watch college basketball, so I don't know. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. They win national titles and stuff. I think they've won what the last two at least. Well, the Big well, Kansas, Ten, right? Big Ten hasn't won a national championship in basketball since Michigan State back in two thousand. And yes, well, that's just because the Big Ten beats itself up during the regular season. Chip, they're all tired by the time they get to the tournament. That's what the SEC would say if it were football. So that's all. That's the only reason that's happened. But you you mentioned a great point. Kansas, a uh, blue blood in basketball. Baylor, a, a modern power that Scott Drew has built it. And they're welcoming a Houston program that's clicking right now, too. Big 12 basketball uh, for the future moving forward. Very, very good, for sure. Yeah. I think Houston's good in basketball? Who knows? Yeah, yeah they Ooh. Final Four a couple years ago. Knocked Illinois out last year. Uh, this is, I think it's a good, I mean, it depends what your perspective is. Like, if you're trying to compare the Big 12's deal to the SEC and the Big 10, I mean, it's not even the same sport pretty much as far as I think I saw somebody did the math. I think it breaks down to 31.8 million annually per school, but that doesn't include like all the playoff. That's just going to be from the TV deal, which is good because that's more than they were getting with Texas and Oklahoma right now. So you improved, but you're still going to be way behind, but just as far as keeping the conference afloat, I think it's a great deal for the big 12 because now you've got some stability. You're also, if you're the PAC 12, I think that it's good for the Pac-12 as well. Not in that well, I don't know what kind of money the Pac-12 is going to get, but in the sense that the Big 12 is not going to be making so much money that there's like a reason for a Pac-12 school to jump down. And I don't think the Pac-12 is going to get the kind of TV deal that's going to give the Big 12 schools a reason to jump at any point. So I think it's kind of a – my biggest takeaway from the deal is it's probably going to calm things down. Tom, can I ask you, guys, you this, or, or, or Chip, or, or Dan, if you know – is there some risk that the networks have cast their lot with the Big 12 and thus it will actually hurt the Pac-12 deal? Big 12 fans seem to be I, – I don't know why there's been this weird rush between Big 12 fans and Pac-12 fans. over Because they're trying to poach each other. That's why. Oh, in a bucket. That's, what, that's what the sport is now. It's TV money. It's like my it's like, We got your- there first. Like I felt like that was a big big part of the, the narrative around this. I don't know, Danny. What, what do you make of the news? I mean, this is Brett Yormark's first – move right i mean this is his first big deal as the commissioner i think it does stabilize things i think you can sell it as for all the positives two point you know two eight billion sounds like a lot of money 
I I just and there's some great aspects to it. One, it's done in 2031, which is still five years before the ACC's deal, which they're still in, mm-hmm. is up. So they can get to the next round if they do have competitive product that he's talking about. I just feel like you know I thought when you said just just feel like you know the big TV players have cast their lot for the Big Twelve. When I look at the bigger picture of college football and I see these numbers, I see the SEC and Big Ten still pulling away and wonder what that does to the competitive balance. It's already hard enough for the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12 to state their case for why we deserve a team in the playoffs. And yeah, if we expand, they'll get one, but it probably will be three or four Big Ten, three or four SEC and one of the leftovers, one each. Which, if that's what's good for you, and maybe you get a nice story out of it, and that team can make a run and win a national title, that's great. But they're in, they won't be as tough or competitive top to bottom because that's where the spending race comes in. And if we get to a point, which I think we're going to get to sooner rather than later, of paying the players, the SEC and Big Ten are going to be able to pay more, so they're going to have the better players. So it just feels like you're going to see this continued just separation between the big 10 and sec and everybody else. Yeah. I, oh. I was saying, going back to the question, but asked too, like, I think it was important for the big 12 that they got both Fox and ESPN involved because obviously ESPN owns the sec. And now Fox is Fox's biggest assets is big 10 football, even though the big 10 is split between, you know, CBS, NBC and Fox. So to get on both of those networks, there's still going to be the second, you know, most attractive property that they have at best. But it's important to be on those networks where they will be showing those games and people will be watching Big Ten games and SEC games and they can promote the Big 12. So to your question about the Pac-12, it might not be great for them because if you're looking around at inventory as far as the available networks, I don't know how much Fox or ESPN are now going to be bidding for the Pac-12. So I do wonder if their best path forward or not their best path, but if they are more likely to go to like the streaming route now with like an Apple TV or something, if that's something that they want to do, if they can get the kind of money that they're looking for to do it. Have you guys seen the, I saw it. It was a chart. Uh, Now I haven't seen it with the latest Thursday night, Amazon prime, but their ratings from the first, it was like a down. It was just straight downhill slide. Now they did have Brady come back and I didn't see if that got an uptick but they got like 15 million the first one and it was down to 8. It was almost in half within 6 weeks. That doesn't bode well for the Pac-12. I mean, I get there's money there and if those if those companies are willing to do it, but if those companies are paying attention to what's happened with the NFL, the king, you know, the, in our country, the NFL is king, they may not look that attractive for, you know, the the quality of your product. And the and the companies may not want to pay for it either. Because if they're walking away and not streaming as much for the NFL, what do you think they're going to do with Pac-12? You know, when it comes around, if uh, if Amazon did not get a big number for Brady and Lamar, uh, then then they're in real trouble. I, my guess here is just that the games had been so bad that uh, and like the, the matchups were bad and they played out poorly in, in recent weeks. I I do think it was interesting. They're going to run some playoff games though, counter to uh, counter to what the NFL is doing. They, they eventually just said enough is enough. So that was kind of cool to see. I, I think that people will choose college playoff games. It, people who are not in big cities, like North, like your, your Northeastern market would, 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 would watch the worst Jets game in the world over the national title, right? Because they just don't grow up in an, in an era or in an area rather where college sports is a thing. It's like if you're a European, like they don't have college sports over there. It's kind of the same thing in the Northeast. 
but in in areas of the country that we actually enjoy both, I think a lot of people will pick a good college game over a poor quality NFL game. And so I'm glad they finally put their foot down on that. Also, for the Big 12 thing, the last thing I'll say on this, I guess the last two things. Number one, I mean, you have Fox Bet, right? You have all these other sports books that are going to be entering the area. Big 12 has a lot of attractive matchups. People don't like to bet on games with spreads that are 40. They want to bet, they want to bet on these close games. They want to be able to live bet this stuff. Eventually, when and I mean, I don't I'll use ESPN because I don't want to get in trouble with my own employer. Eventually, you're probably gonna be able to bet games on the ESPN app. Right. And probably on our own app, too. I mean, give us 10, 20 years. I guarantee you'll be able to live bet on the app. Maybe 50. exciting games that keep people drawn in are are important here. Right. That's something the Big 12 offers if they even if they're not great, if they're like somewhat competitive within the league, that offers you a lot of betting opportunities. The other thing you're going to see here is the continued push by your four or five ACC schools for increased revenue share for the top schools that actually draw. Because they're going to see this number and they're going to say, hey. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Why why, yeah. why, are these teams, why is UCF getting this while Florida State is getting well, this? Well, Wake and, and Pitt and, and Cuse just kind of stuck on the teat of North Carolina and Florida State and the teams that actually draw, uh, whether they're good or not. I, I, I'll, I'll risk angering the bosses with an idea. Well, listen, no bad ideas. Yeah, I'm just saying, like we've got, we've got in the future here. We're losing SEC. We're going to have Big Ten in that 3:30 window. We don't have any primetime games that I know of. Maybe we test the Pac-12 waters, see what they're looking for. If we can get a nighttime game on Saturday night, because I'm not sure what we show on CBS on Saturday nights when we don't have doubleheaders, because I'm too busy watching football. But I would bet Pac-12 games will outdraw them. Blue Bloods next. <laughs> um, I will say this: this is a this is a midseason take. I don't I don't know if this take would work in February. I don't know if this take would work in June. But I look across the country, and this has to do, Danny, with what you're saying about pulling away. You can have more money and still stink. I, I mean, if I'm the Big Twelve, if I'm the Pac Twelve, I look at College Station and I'm like, look, you can have all the money in the world, and if you you might still stink. So the SEC and the Big Ten are pulling away. And I say February because it probably means that their recruiting is still going to be awesome, right? You know, the recruiting budgets, the staff, the, the way you're able to build that out. Uh, you know, if we do get to a, a true paying players, that will be significant as well as a resource crunch. But, you know, I'm looking around college football right now, and there are teams that are not have they do not have the kind of payouts from their conferences that are playing way better than some of the ones that ha- are making the most in college football. So... Yeah, I think they can find their way. Good teams will still be able to find their way to the playoff. And now we've got more spots for them. Um, Michigan State, Michigan. As we were just recording the instant reaction show, we were sort of picking up pieces from the postgame press conference of uh, the the fight or the altercation, the fracas, however you want to call it, in the tunnel. Now we've got some action from Michigan State coach Mel Tucker. Four suspensions, Tank Brown, Kari Crump, Angelo Groza, and Zion Young have been suspended effective immediately from what Tucker called disturbing electronic evidence of the incident. The cell phone footage of just, look I mean, it looks like getting jumped. Um, And it, it ties together with uh, Penn State and Michigan, this whole one tunnel, two tunnel debate. It seems silly, but this is two times in this season that Michigan has dealt with violence or at least the threat of violence in that one tunnel in Michigan Stadium. Um, 
we didn't get a chance to talk about it much on the instant reaction show, the, the fighting in general, but now, especially with the suspension, I felt like it was worth bringing up, even if only for a minute. Uh, what, what are our thoughts on, on what's happening in the tunnel? No excuse for what happened. Those players that are suspended should, you know, depending on all the evidence available, should probably be suspended for a while. Some serious, you know, thought given to their ability to continue playing for Michigan State. But the larger picture to me is what you touched on. And it's what James Franklin brought up a couple weeks ago. And it's twice this season, but it's not just this season. This has happened in that tunnel plenty of times. And it's just a byproduct of only having the one tunnel. Because, like, when you play a football game, emotions are kind of high. And then you're having all these guys cram into the same tunnel to go to the locker rooms at the same time. And it's not like I know that, that you do this in other sports. Like, in soccer, teams come out of the same tunnel. But there's 20 guys. When there's football teams, there's 200. And so, pads. Yeah, in pads, all angry, all just finished playing a football game in which they've been hitting each other for the last three and a half to four hours. Just get a second route to the field for the visiting team. That that would solve a whole lot of problems. I'd, I'd be livid if I'm Jim Harbaugh, which he is. I'd be livid if I'm Mel Tucker, which I think he is. He has to you know kick off four players potentially. You know why? Because if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I'm pissed because you had 20 guys jump one of my guys. And if I'm Mel Tucker, I'm pissed because you had 60 minutes to have a legal fight on the field. And that's what you gave me? Like, that, like what happened to that? Like, wh why don't you go out and fight when you can fight instead of getting run all over throughout the game? And then when the number's on your side, you act like a bunch of punks and cowards because you have a 20-on-one or whatever the number advantage you were like the whatever number you had, I just thought it was an awful look. I think it is an easy fix like you're talking about, or it's just an easier exit strategy. Like do some tradition where you stay out, which I, they do. I mean, I saw pictures of Michigan players out in the field with Paul Bunyan, you know, with the picture and you know uh, uh, the statue and holding them up. Just say, all right, you guys have five minutes to clear the tunnel. That's all it takes. Just get everybody off the field. We'll stay out here. We'll linger. I guess the only problem with that is if you lose. You know, so not the losing team goes in first. That's it. You know, losing to if it's Michigan, sorry, you got to go out first and let the other team celebrate their win. With the Rerouting history. the tunnel is also an option, too, but it seems to me way cheaper. And you could do this starting next week is all right, we're going to let the losing team exit. We'll all wait out here and then you guys can go. But it's a blemish on college football, which we all love. And then it just it, it makes the sport look bad. It won't be right. cheap. You just got a giant new TV deal that should help with that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, Michigan still not uh, still not paying the players. Okay, they have a couple hundred million to bring in every year. They can probably find a way to uh, to to free up some money in the budget. But also, you should just be able to act decently and walk next to each other uh, through a tunnel without fighting. I I don't know though, man. I don't know what uh, I don't know what what preceded this. Right there's the whole uh, talk shit get hit thing, right? And who know? I don't. I'm not trying to do like the you know blame the victim thing here. I just all we saw was the actual fight part. And aren't you supposed to get quickly to your locker room? I don't know. Maybe, who was lingering? Was Michigan State lingering? Was Michigan lingering? I don't know enough about the situation to really say something that's going to get me in trouble. I just I wish I had more info, like some footage of what happened before this. The well, one on deserve what he got. Hey man, like there's certain things you know not to say to, to, to a group group of pissed off dudes. All right. So now it's best just keep walking. Okay. That's around, find out. But at the same at the same time, like I'm serious. Like, should you jump him? Should you jump him? No. Should you know better? 
three and a half yes. to get your ass kicked. All that was was a bunch of people who were pissed off because they got the kicked out of them looking for somebody to take it out on. I don't give what he said. Those were just, uh, I can't use the word I was about to use. All right. but, yeah. Yeah. So uh, two things here. Number one, all the guys who matter as far as like for the on-field thing, and Tom's probably interested in this because Michigan State plays Illinois this week, they play defense. Two of these guys are defensive starters. The other one I saw the Michigan fans being like, why is this guy on Michigan State's roster anyway? He got kicked off Minnesota. So to Tom's point about like, should they continue to play for Michigan State? Maybe one of those is worth looking into if he truly got kicked off Minnesota. That's kind of a, a number of incidents there. I, w- I just wish I had more info on it. There's also, did you see the video of, like the Michigan staffer who like turns and runs like scared out of his mind while a Michigan player is getting jumped? Like you should, like to me, that's a bad look. And I get you probably were terrified. And I don't even know if he's like a football coach. He's just a part of the program. But you're supposed to be the adult. You should get in there and protect your players. That's that's all I'll say. Like those team, those team, those guys on the team, I'd lose a lot of respect for anybody I'm on so the staff. Even up. if it's an older athletic, I don't care who it is. You go over there and you say, "Hey, knock it off." And if the guy hits you with his helmet, so be it. Then you you know, press charges. <laughs> you got to go out there and defend your guys. I don't care. And then it's a quarterback. Yeah, it's a walk-on quarterback. You better get out there and defend your guys. Still <laughs> caved in, but at least I'm going to be getting a check from it. <laughs> right? The, the, the chat. Yeah, the chat was saying it was the director of football operations. I don't know if that's true. We, we I don't care what staff you were on. You're the adult, and you're associated with either program. Like if you know, I'm seeing multiple people in the chat say it was Michigan State, it was Michigan, whoever it was. You got to get in there and break it up. Oh, and Michigan said they had additional security following the Penn State thing. Where was the uh, where was the additional security? To your point, though, Danny, like what's the funniest, well, not even funniest, but the one aspect of this to me is that you're talking about the guy running instead of trying to break it up. This is all happening. And what are most people's reactions? Let's pull out our phones and record it. Nobody yeah. there was like, we should break this up. It was like, ooh, let's record it. Yep. Put it that out. is a cancer in our society like we wouldn't believe. Like that is the that's what everybody does. With any fight, no one wants to break it up. I, I'm so glad that you brought that. up the the staffer running away because I just <laughs> I just put myself with like the internal monologue. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> fight or flight. That man is a capital F flight to his core. Oh man! All right. Time to take a look at the changes in the AP Top 25 and the coaches poll. It is time for Poll Assassin. Now, there was a shakeup of sorts in the top three. Tennessee did not jump Ohio State, but is tied with Ohio State, which brings a lot of historical importance and excitement to what has now become a one verse two showdown between Georgia and Tennessee. Tennessee had more first place votes than Ohio state did 18 to 15 Georgia with 30 first place votes as it holds on to the number one spot. Uh, If you want to get down to voting points, it's even very small margins there. Georgia at 1,528 Tennessee and Ohio state each at 1500. Then it is a, drop off 28 voting points between those two uh, and then a big drop off of more than 100 to the fourth place Michigan Wolverines 
The tie at the top, obviously, is going to get uh, some attention and bring some excitement to this weekend. Elsewhere, we saw Wake Forest tumble, but not all the way out to number 20. Uh, we got Oklahoma State fall to number 18 from number nine. And a lot of shakeup at the very edge of the rankings with Kentucky, Cincinnati, and South Carolina falling out. Gee, who? Someone predicted that on this podcast. Liberty, Oregon State, and UCF all make an appearance. Uh, anything in the rankings themselves as a consensus or a particular ballot stand out from this week? Top 22 lane. 19. I mean, the, you know what I was thinking about this morning as I was working on CBS Sports 131? North Carolina is being treated like Tulane. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, North I mean, Carolina is 7-1, and one, undefeated in conference play, and it is being treated like the current uh, frontrunner in the American Athletic Conference. And it's only losses to Notre Dame, whereas Tulane's losses to uh, Southern Miss. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm fine with most of the poll. I, I thought Oregon State jumping in was was interesting, right? They yeah. they, they, they were they, off. They had a bye week. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but they're a know, quality they, loss team. They've got six wins, and the only losses are to USC and Utah. And so you're like, well, yeah. How do how do we penalize them? They've won all the games that they should win. They've been they had been creeping up over the last couple of weeks, so I, it was not a, a huge surprise to me, even though they didn't play. I don't see any uh, for the first time this year. I don't see anybody in the top ten who is very clearly not a top ten quality team. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you can, I think somewhere between like that sort of Oregon to I don't know that Ole Miss is the eleventh best team in the country, but uh, this poll looks. Fine, as far as we can argue about where teams are within certain ranges, but I, I don't see a lot of just gross misrankings this week. I would have probably dropped Oklahoma State a little bit more than they did when you lose 48 to nothing, but that was sort of just a concession game by Gundy. I mean, they just started running the ball a lot in the second half just to get the thing over with. I think they realized they were they were just toast. Uh, Tulane's the best team in the, in the American. Yes. I think. Like uh, We can UFR this later, but since he is... Um, it's fraudulent. Yes, I, very much so. I, I'm with you. I don't think the top ten is has any problems. I mean, I would have TCU higher, but other than that, I really don't have a whole lot of grief there. The one thing, and this is just the kind of funny thing that stands to me because this is where like the recency bias one million percent comes into play. But two weeks ago, Syracuse beat NC State twenty four to nine. But then NC State comes back with a monster 22 to 21 win over a terrible Virginia Tech team. And guess who's ranked ahead of Syracuse this week? The team that lost to it by 15 points. <laughs> so this is all, that's fair. I think though, if we look at certain situations and Tom, I don't disagree with you on this. I think you probably should have waited at least a week. NC state seems to have found something at quarterback because they were playing a glorified running back against Syracuse after losing Leary. And Syracuse, we talked about in the, the, the locks pod, there is some chance that the defensive injuries are just going to smoke them. And Notre Dame ran for a ton of yards and just pushed them around defensively. So, like, Cuse's defense might be done. I, I could see how somebody watching those two games would be like, ooh, wait a second. Like, if they play – obviously, we can't always do that if they played this thing again. But given – you have to look at common opponents and some other results, too. I think NC State's a better team than Cuse right now, given who's actually on the field. 
MJ Morris, uh, the freshman quarterback there. And, Good. you know, I think that something that we've seen uh, even in Texas A&M with some of its offensive success, you get that freshman quarterback in, all of a sudden these freshman receivers who've been playing with them in practice all season, they start to emerge as well. Timmons, I think his name was, the NC State wide receiver, freshman, uh, stepped up as a little bit of a, a deep threat in that game. I, I think that NC State has found something too and a little bit of context I think helps anchor the Wolfpack's position in the top 25. Anything else on the rankings? Where would you have uh, TCU, uh, Tom? Because I was curious. Like, do you put them ahead of Bama? I would have them ahead of Clemson and Alabama. Just they're 8-0 and they have far more impressive wins. And I think that, you know, college football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. Don't be surprised if TCU is in the top four. Just based on the way the committee usually ranks teams, don't be surprised if TCU is in the top four. I saw our friend Bill Connolly mentioned that the, the TCU's ranking essentially becomes a pivot point for how the, this committee, which remember changes out like two to three, uh, two to three committee members every couple of years. I how where TCU falls in the rankings will go a long way to tell us what we think, what they think of the Big Twelve. If you really follow this sport, prepare to be mad about where, where TCU's ranking goes because. If you do this and if you make power ratings or if you just like watch all the games and I don't know, I, I don't really think this committee is, is all that well comprised of people who really know the sport as far as like on the field stuff ever but, or this like, one specific uh, ever kind of, especially okay, with, with, some of, with some of the some of the metrics they give these guys uh, like they don't really account for margin of victory and things like that, which is really problematic. Well, um, I, I'm, I'll, I saw um, they use game control. No, I, I saw the team sheet for the first time, like actually like looking at it, Sports Source Analytics puts it together yeah. and it's just a flood of numbers. And so what I think I realized is you just don't want to have bad numbers. Like you don't want to have anything that's like a 114 out of 131. Like it's just all of this information that it's you know, like an overload for these committee members looking at it. So you just want to make sure that you don't have one thing, strength of schedule, defense, offense. You just want to make sure you don't have a one statistic that looks glaring so that it's a reason why you're going to lose a tiebreaker type decision. So yeah, how- they also care a lot about top 25 wins. Yes, yeah. this is where I was going with this. So they, if you like make your own ratings, there's generally sort of sometimes, sometimes there's a one that's just way over everybody. And then there's kind of that like two to five grouping ish. Sometimes it's one to five. And then kind of that like six to like 16 ish range is oftentimes not that not that much different. And then sort of that like, you know, 15 to 45 is very much the same, guys. Like, I don't Tom, I don't know if you got your ratings in front of you, but I mean, like I. It's I would have more than 10. Yeah, like I have like a touchdown difference between 15 and 45. Right Who's now. 15 and 45? Just uh, fun. F- 15 for me is Kansas State and 45 is East Carolina. I bumped them up because I think Ehlers is healthy now. But I to, mean, to your point that if they played in a bowl game tomorrow, touchdown. you would have Kansas State as a touchdown favorite. Basically, yeah. yeah. Right. So here's the thing. The committee draws these arbitrary lines with top 25 win. They do not do a good job of accounting for consistently difficult schedule of teams that are sorted like 26 to like 40 or 45. And TCU is going to have a lot of teams who are in that two to three loss range who are unranked, but still much better than some of these, you know, very bottom of the, of the barrel SEC teams or big 10 teams that like an Ohio state or a Bama Georgia gets to play every week, you know, what so top 25 do they reference for their first one? I don't know. That's a good question. 
probably their own. Oh, it's versus current CFP top 25 and versus current CFP top 10. Right. But like this is their first one. So they oh, use that one. Yeah. I'm saying, because I've always maintained that they pay attention. They watch games on TV. So they're aware of who is ranked where mm-hmm. throughout the season. I also have a question for you guys, because I know they have this, you know, a lot of information put in front of them. They also have, and they'll reference it all the time, that we get every game on DVD and we watch the games. How many, t- how many games do you think these committee members study the game film of? Zero. <laughs> Zero. No, maybe no a way former coach like, who's like not an athletic director might throw in a little bit, but the majority of them, they get those DVDs and they should do the uh, was it the Jamarcus Russell or which quarterback was it? Was it blank? Yeah, it was Russell. I, yeah. I think it was Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, they gave him the DVD and they said, All right, you know, go oh, here's your, here's your film. They came back and like, What'd you think? I was like, Oh, yeah, it looks like a tough team. And they were like, Uh, oh, it's blank. Oh, my <laughs> god. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they should do that with the committee members because I guarantee you they'd come back like, oh, yeah, it was an impressive win for the top 25 versus five. They don't watch. Are you trying to tell me that like Colorado athletic director Rick George, who currently has a coach opening and needs to find a new football coach, isn't spending all his time in his office crushing films so he can get the college football playoff rankings correct? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Funny, but counterpoint, maybe he's studying coaches. True. True. (laughs) Even if you're going like snap by snap, right on, and and you have the catapult app, and and, and you're you're able to watch the all twenty two without a commercial breaks, it still takes a long time, right? You know, and if every to top twenty five game, every top twenty five, it's just too much. And I'm not, I just think it's stupid that they have this illusion like we watch the games. Like I don't care. Just say your yeah. guys are getting information, and you're ha- you're talking to experts, and you're getting expert information, and you watch the games that matter. You know what you're coming down to the top four. You know, I just, when they say they watch all the games, I think it's comical. Yeah. yeah, and also to Danny's point, they just basically they craft the bottom ten or so to justify what they do with the top fifteen. That's the whole point. It's like, hey, wait, like we're the reason why they rank twenty five is to give themselves some cover for what they want to do with the top four. I'll go, going back to the AP real quick, though. <clears throat> I think John Wilner listens to cover three and hates cover three. Oh yeah. Yeah. What did you do? about it? Like North Carolina is Tulane in the eyes of many. <clears throat> Wilner has North Carolina at 25 on his ballot. He's got wake forest at 14, even after losing to Louisville this weekend. And he has Illinois at 22. So he's got Mississippi five, three lost Mississippi state ahead of Illinois He's got three lost Kentucky at 17 ahead of Illinois. He's got Wake Forest at six and two still in the 14, but the seven and one Illini are at 22 and the seven and one North Carolina Tar Heels are at 25. Vendetta against the cover three podcast. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, like he's got Illinois at 22. No other voter has them lower than 19. Wilner's got North Carolina at 25, but I mean, there is what Don Williams, our other favorite, again, another person who listens to the show and hates us, doesn't have North Carolina ranked at all. You're not watching, you're not watching every game. You're not watching the country if you're not, if you don't have North Carolina. I think they're the most underrated, underranked team in the country, maybe besides Illinois. He's got, (laughs) exactly. He's got Arkansas ranked 24th, Texas 21st, Notre Dame 19th. Those are the only With three, three losses, teams. right? Those but are all three lost teams. Carolina, North Carolina, which just not ranked at all. 
Mm. Shout out to you, John Wilner, Don Williams. Congratulations. We'll put a, a coin in the bucket. You got your name mentioned on another edition of Pole Assassin. Wait, you got something else? We good? Yeah. All right. Coming up on the other side, it is our chance to offer our final thoughts and takes from the week that was. It is upon further review. We'll get into all of it next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Uh, a team that and it, that has shown up on on both of our upon further review boards. I figure we'll go ahead and start with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, forty-one to twenty-four winners against Syracuse. <clears throat> but you mentioned that there were some things from this game you wanted to get to. I did as well, and it was as you mentioned in the group chat, all through the lens of seeing Notre Dame hosting Clemson this weekend because I think that the Fighting Irish, the success that they have had moving the ball on the ground, uh, playing solid defense. They have found an identity, even with the lack of outside uh, skill players. They have found an identity that I think is strong. And while the profile shows that your, your losses to Stanford and Marshall are incredibly embarrassing, it's also a team that has beaten North Carolina and now Syracuse. I think that this is a team that's turned the corner. I think the Fighting Irish have a decent chance to I haven't even looked at the spread yet, but I think the Fighting Irish have a decent chance to be much more of uh, a challenge and a competitor with Clemson in town this coming Saturday than what we might have thought in the immediate wake of the Marshall or Stanford losses. I So the line opened four. Uh, I, I'm all over that with Clemson. I, I, um, As you think you're saying something nice about Notre Dame. <laughs> yes, right. So, I, like Notre Dame got a good win for where Notre Dame is right now as a program. Like Clemson was kind of ripe to be got here if Notre Dame could push them around on the ground. As we talked about this in summer school uh, when we had Stephen Bailey on, we talked about this. I think when we did the locks pod, it was like, will Syracuse's defense hold up? They're very thin, like they're very small up front. They have to use confusion. They can't afford injuries there because they don't have depth. And they have started to have some guys go down. Uh, Schrader also uh, tore his ACL in this game. Or not Schrader, excuse me. Garrett Williams tore his ACL in this game, the, the one of the best corners in the ACC. Uh, so wish him a speedy recovery. Hope we can get ready for the draft. Uh, Schrader also got hurt for Syracuse. But Notre Dame was able to push Syracuse around in a way that I do not think it can do to Clemson. Quarterback-wise, and I've talked to coaches who have played Notre Dame, and they're like, man, they're so like they're so ordinary on the outside. They don't scare you. The quarterback is really pretty bad, and like Mayer gets a lot of hype, and he's a good player, but he's not like 
he's not as twitchy as some of these guys who go on to play in the league like that. Now, maybe they're wrong about some of that, but Clemson, when they have looked sketchy this year, generally has been because teams have been able to exploit the corners, especially when they were hurt. Mm-hmm. And Drew Pine was 9 of 19 for 116 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Once well, they got up, they're like, we're not going to risk this. He, well, yeah, he, I mean, Notre Dame functionally just isn't built yeah. to throw the ball. They don't want to. They, they would love to get four or five yards on their first down run, set things up, and if they get stuck in third and five, then – you know, find a quick little out route and a matchup problem, get the ball to Mayer. I mean, it's, it is an identity that is not built to win a championship, but it is an identity of a team that I think can win a game. If Clemson, if Clemson does not bring in, look, Brian Brzee, Tyler Davis, the defensive tackles on this team are phenomenal. But I kind of think Notre Dame's offensive line is cooking too. And so I think it will be a challenge for that defense on the interior uh, to make sure that they don't get pushed around physically. See, my problem with that is, like, if you look at Notre Dame at a success rate level on the ground, they're actually pretty decent. It's just there is absolutely no explosive play factor on the ground. Like, they they can get you four yards. It might even get you five. Start asking for six or seven, you're asking a little bit too much from them. So, I, I agree. I don't think the offensive line – I think the offensive line is improving, and I think they're opening holes. It's just they don't have somebody that's capable of getting into the open field and beating a linebacker or beating a safety in a one-on-one spot and getting a big play out of it. And I think that is a severe hindrance for them, especially this week against Clemson, because even if you do get by the, that defensive line, you're going to need more explosive plays to beat Clemson just because it's going to be hard to drive the, down the field in 12, 13 plays against that defense. Anything else on uh, Notre Dame? Um, yeah, I'm really curious because of the team they're facing. Like, what is Clemson going to want to do? Like, after DJ's shakiest game yet this year, getting benched, they're going to want to run Shipley. And this is also a Notre Dame team which had the most success against Ohio State than anybody else that's done against Ohio State. I mean, Penn State was doing a great job for three quarters. But I think if I would lean anything, it'd probably be under – I think this game, I think, because I, I think Clemson's going to want to say, you know what? We realize what we are. We're a run. We want to be, we're a Will Shipley led team, not a DJU led team. I want to push back on the narrative that Notre Dame played Ohio State better than anybody. If you go back yeah. and watch the game, and we talked about it at the time, Notre Dame's game plan for that entire game was let's not get blown out. They took like every single play. They were running that play clock down to two or one before they snapped the ball. They were just trying to keep the Ohio State offense off the field as much as possible to keep that close. I Now, granted, as far as the final score works, yeah, they played Ohio State better than anybody else. But I think Penn State played Ohio State better than anybody in the country this weekend because they were moving the ball on them better than anybody. That game Breaking again on Comparnelli says Notre Dame played to cover, not to win. And he's right. Mm-hmm. No, they play not to get embarrassed. Sure. Yeah. It, it was more of a reputation type thing than, than, although I actually don't know that the strategy which would allow you to win diverges all that much from the strategy that allows you to keep it close. Like there's no strategy. Wouldn't that be that the same against out. Notre Dame or against Clemson too? Not to get not embarrassed, but with yeah. their, and the quarterback situation like the is rough. Yeah, yeah. They have to. Yeah. Um, Brandon Joseph, former All American from Northwestern, flashed in that Syracuse game too. Uh, that ball hawk and safety will be hoping DJU is a little bit loose with it again. Uh, Notre Dame has playmakers on the defensive side of the ball that can make you pay. 
something that will be very important <clears throat> for uh, DJ to keep it tight and avoid the same kind of turnovers that we saw against Syracuse. Tom, what's your airing of grievances? Oh, okay. I I don't remember if you did this on the show or right after the show, bud. Oh, it was after. And I, yeah, I, I apologize. On further review, Bud is a mush and he's a horrible friend. And at, for the people that weren't paying attention or didn't hear because it was after the show, my, my money line sprinkle was San Diego State plus 275. We're recording the show Saturday night. Show finishes. San Diego State's up 11. And he says, I don't want to mush it, but your, your San Diego State sprinkles looking pretty good. And then Fresno State erases an 11-point deficit in the final 67 seconds of a game to win. But I'll forgive that. My bigger grievance <laughs> is with Mr. Daniel Cannell. Daniel, oh boy. <laughs> remember a few weeks ago, two Michigan State Spartans, Bud and Chip, were ganging up on you in the hallway, in the tunnel heading to the locker room, taking NC State over Florida State. And I saw, I saw you getting jumped. And unlike a Michigan staffer, I didn't run away. I didn't pull That's out right. my camera by recording. I jumped into the fray and started swinging back, and together we beat the hell out of them. I thought we were boys. But then on Thursday in the Locks pod, you come and you take Nebraska against the <laughs> and force me to fight you? I thought we were brothers. I didn't want to have to beat you up, but I did. And I just want you to know I hurt. it hurt. It hurt my feelings that you did that. And there was a sucker punch in the sprinkles, too, with a little note after I, I had long gone. I had to find out after you were gone. Oh, yeah, Nebraska plus 275. <laughs> I deserve 22 Tommy DeVito passing in that game. Damn I deserve right. every bit of ass whooping that I'm getting on the cover three locks because <laughs> it has been atrocious, and I deserve it all. So I apologize. I did rank them 13th in my... 12 on Sundays with a special shout out to you. <laughs> I did. God. I mean, that they deserve a spot. You, you got to expand the DK rankings when the fighting Illini are knocking on the door of a Big Ten championship. Can we just talk I'll about the football playoff rankings are coming out tomorrow and Illinois is going to be in them? Let's just talk about that for a while. <laughs> Uh, Danny, you, you were talking about Drake May earlier. I know that you want to turn a spotlight on the Tar Heels. Well, I, I do because I, I get both sides of it, right? Because if you look for signature wins, where are they? You know, and it's not their fault that Miami's down, that, you know, Virginia Tech is down. It's not their fault, but all they can do is beat the teams that are on their schedule. And the Notre Dame loss, I don't want to say it looks better because it's still, it's not a good loss, but it's their only loss. And at some point, We've got to recognize in a loss, which, by the way, Drake made through his third game with five interceptions and zero touchdowns. And we did it on here. Who's, you, mean you know, if we wanted zero interceptions, what's that? Did you say you mean five touchdowns and no interceptions or? Yes. Yeah, five okay. touchdowns, zero interceptions. I say it the reverse. Yes. <laughs> Too many jackhammers going on here in the background. No, you, five you gave you gave him a Spencer Rattler, the South Carolina quarterback. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. He has been, I think North Carolina is the most underrated, underranked team in the country. And I think Drake May is the most underrated quarterback in the country. He's the quarterback that everybody wants Will Levis to be so bad. And he's not one out here doing it on the field. And as far as the Heisman goes, 
Like, and I, I don't want to, I don't like tearing another because I love Hendon Hooker. I love CJ Stroud. I love Caleb Williams. But if you don't have Drake May in the Heisman consideration, at least as a top three or a top four candidate, then you're not watching college football. And he's playing at an elite, elite level. And he's doing it with a defense that is struggling, where every possession he gets the ball is a very high pressure possession, meaning you got to go down and score because you don't know if your defense is going to get a stop. You don't have the luxury of, ah, if I turn it over, my defense is going to give it right back. So I think I think Carolina is also a team, man, they control their own destiny. That was a big win for them in the Coastal. And I think they could present some problems for Clemson. But they first, like the thing also when you watch Carolina, kind of watch them with one eye, you know, you're like, oh, gosh, don't screw up this easy game you're supposed to win. Yeah, May is um, third nationally in quarterback efficiency rating behind Stroud and Hooker, but he's doing it while throwing seven more passes a game, and he's a freshman, whereas those guys are kind of experienced vets. They're going to need him to keep playing great, and he is. I mean, like, the, the throws on the run that he makes that are downfield, across the field, and hitting these guys in stride, that looks like what you see from Holmes and Josh Allen. I'm not saying he's as good as those guys, but I'm saying like stylistically, other people don't make those type of throws. That is just like that's the stuff you really can't coach. Uh, they're going to need it though because Taylor, one of the best uh, defensive players for North Carolina, is apparently out for the season now after that injury, the the, the knee injury he had in that game. And uh, Chip, have we heard about the uh, about Desmond Evans, the, the other DN they have? Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm. That's a little scary uh, for this. No, weekend. listen, man. You you take it for what it is. It, it, oh, oh, a defensive player is missing from right. North Carolina. Like, okay, <laughs> so they're going to go another five no- touchdowns. Yeah, is, they're going to go from number one ten to one twelve in your defensive <laughs> power ratings. Um, the thing that is truly fun about Drake May and this North Carolina offense is how quickly they can flip a game. They were down twenty four to fourteen. Like the offense was not pouring it on, and it looked like Pitt was executing exactly the strategy that it needed to get in and out of Chapel Hill with the win. And then they they turn it on, and then it just becomes a, a snowball, and they just start marching right down the field. It started with a twelve play, seventy five yard drive, couple third down conversions in there. Drake made no end. Like you talk about back against the wall season, like ACC championship hopes on the line. And as a freshman quarterback, he stepped up and he led the touchdown drive, cuts it to 24-21, three more touchdowns in the fourth quarter just to make sure they leave no doubt, make it look a little bit prettier on the scoreboard. But that was it can happen really, really fast for North Carolina, and that's something that's special and definitely helped them get to the 7-1 and status. All right, what else do we want to highlight? Uh, I want to go to a game I did not get to watch on Saturday, but I, I watched it this morning. Man, Dave Aranda in his bag. And we, we talked about Barry Morton and, and how damn good he was uh, the, the prior week, freshman quarterback for Texas Tech. And I do think he'll be good. But uh, Dave Aranda had a little something for, for Morton uh, there in Lubbock. 11 of 33 for a buck 52 and three picks. That is, uh, that's welcome to scheme diversity, young freshman. And Dave Aranda had something going there. And offensively, Baylor's offensive line is pretty good. Coach Joy McGuire for the Red Raiders said that his one worry entering the week was if Baylor could run it on them. And uh, yeah, they could. Richard Reese, had, Richard Reese had 148 and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And the longest carry there was 19. So it wasn't like it was just one explosive carry. They were just like, hey, here's five, here's six, here's seven, hit the bus. Can Baylor get back into the Big 12 title picture? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
because they still have Kansas State, TCU, and Texas all on the schedule. Mm-hmm. They need – so remember, they do not have tiebreakers against Oklahoma State or against – I mean, West Virginia is certainly not going to be in the race. So they need to make sure that that Oak State picks up another loss, I think. It would then, yeah, they could totally do it. Totally. Mm-hmm. Team to watch. Oh, one last team. One last UFR for me is just something kind of. I, I meant to bring it up when I was airing grievances against. Same with what we were talking about with Nebraska, but one thing to keep an eye on because, like, I joked during the Cover Three Pod and we were fighting. I says, you know, Illinois is coming off a bye, getting ready for this game, and Nebraska is coming off a bye with its coaching staff looking for other jobs. Casey Thompson got hurt in the first half of that game. And then Logan Smothers comes in for a series before Chubba Purdy then takes over in the second half. And neither one of them looked all that prepared to play, which is something to keep in mind. It's like with an interim coaching staff, how many reps do you think the backups are getting for their development and practice when those guys are just trying to keep make see if they can keep their job? They uh, like you could tell they were a hundred percent invested in Casey Thompson. Purdy, uh, Purdy was at Florida State, and he didn't get to play much. But in practice, he was not good. So, like that doesn't really support. I know FSU fans flipped out when he transferred, but like that, that's not really a loss based on anything that we've seen so far in his college career. Uh, do we know what Thompson's injury was? It, it, he hurt his hand. He got hit as he was under- okay. Got it. Something happened to his hand because, like, he was just like I, I thought it was like a funny bone injury at first, just the way his arm was like kind of shaking. But he never came back in the game, so I don't know what it was. It might be nerve. I don't want to. I don't want to speculate. One last UFR. Uh, Cincinnati is the the frauds that we thought they might be. Like how bad they looked against Tulsa, how shaky they looked against USF. I think that was the true Cincinnati. To be honest, like UCF's defense is not particularly good, and they had less than three hundred fifty yards in that ball game and lost to a team that lost its quarterback in the first 20 minutes of the game. And UCF still put up 500 yards on them with a backup Cincinnati, terrible passing day. I mean, 45 for 289 is, uh, is really inefficient and on the ground 35 rushing yards. And that's, I mean, that's the defense in UCF that, that I mean, Holden Anders went 30 of 36 for what? 370 the week before. So mm-hmm. Cincinnati is, is not, like they've had a huge drop off. That 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 to me is like not a top fifty team. Yeah, like if you look at them, like defensively, they're probably like a top thirty defense in most metrics. But the offense, like, I mean, still, but compared to last year, that's a huge drop because again, yeah. they sent a whole bunch of dudes to the NFL off that defense. But offensively is where they've really just kind of fallen off a cliff, especially like they if, take away Desmond Ritter and apparently Cincinnati's. You know, the the gap between Ritter and Bryant is pretty significant. Would they be the worst team in the Big 12 if they were in the Big 12 this year? No. No. See, I think I think you're a little Are you I think sure like the, they're better in West Virginia? Cincinnati. I don't know. I think you're being hard on Cincinnati. They played Arkansas to one possession first game of the year. I think they're clearly in a year where they're not they're going to be what 9 and 3 when it's all said and done. Like that's not a bad year. You know, they're just not up to the standard that Luke Fickle has built. And it's more of a developmental program anyway. So it's clearly one of those ones where you lose that much, nine guys drafted to the NFL. Like it's, Those are some significant losses that are harder to replace at Cincinnati than they would be at a Georgia, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State. You know, I think I think the you know, like I, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm a little – I like Luke Fickle a lot. I think he's done so a great I, job. He, he won 17 conference games in a row. Yeah. And I, that was, right. like, that's what yeah. – Oh, yeah. 
I'm just trying to figure out if they're the worst team in the Big 12 because I, I understand I, why they had the drop. I'm not saying they're fraudulent in prior years at all. I'm just saying that we had a suspicion for about a month now that they might be fraudulent this year. Like they barely beat a, a, a Tulsa team that had a bunch of guys out. They struggled with USF. They dominated SMU for quite a while and then, I mean, one by two. Right. Shout out to I Matthew will, in the chat said BYU might be the worst team in the Big 12 when they make the run over. Yeah, I will say my power rankings have them being better than just about the same as Texas Tech and better in West Virginia and Iowa State right now. So they would not finish it last based on my power ratings. Based on that Bob, league is going to have so much parity. It's going to be a fun league. Yeah. And, and that's what they sold. Yeah. <laughs> They sold competitiveness and entertainment, and this is an entertainment product in the eyes of those media rights companies. So <clears throat> we mentioned it earlier. New, the first college football playoff rankings will be released on Tuesday, and we will be here with an instant reaction to those rankings. Probably go live about 7.20. We're not going to wait for the end of the show and the committee chair or whatever. But once we've got the full 1 through 25 uh, all set, we will we will jump on youtube.com slash cover3 if you want to join the discussion live. Of course, uh, there will be the podcast out as well afterwards. So that's on Tuesday. Wednesday, ooh, boy, time for superlatives. That means player of the month, team of the month, game of the month, and coach of the month, plus Tom's special superlatives. All that will be on Wednesday. If you want to make a nomination, we can be bribed. Uh, just reach out to us uh, wherever you find us. And then Thursday, of course, uh, the massive Week 10 slate all broken down in our locks episode. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hitting you four times during the work week all the way between now and the end of the season. Also, action back. We'll, we'll, we'll be doing some live breakdowns of uh, live breakdowns of Mac games on some of these uh, Tuesday night reaction pods. So be sure to tune in for that. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Finelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.